he was like, I don't really know how to do this, but I can maybe make a desktop app version, like just to <laughs> test the idea. Mm-hmm. And so we ran with that. It took him like four days, and then we showed real customers. Welcome to the Founders Couch. This is a show about Stanford and MIT student founders and their intrepid journeys of starting their own thing. I'm your host, Catherine Jang. Today, we'll be talking to a friend of mine, Senior King Alan D.D. King and I first met in our freshman dorm, Otero. He is a senior here at Stanford, studying his own individualized major in engineering, and he hails from the Philippines. King is a serial entrepreneur. He has his own company called Tool.ai that is doing robotic process automation for freight document processing. The way it works is customers upload freight documents onto their platform, they convert images to text, and then they send all the data to various freight systems. The company has raised a pre-seed from Bain Capital Ventures and is currently looking for talent. But this isn't King's first entrepreneurial endeavor. He founded another company, Applica.me, when he was 18 years old, that was basically the common app of the Philippines. Now, I can't wait to dive into this and learn about how King came to found Tool.ai and his overall journey as a serial entrepreneur. So let's get King on the couch. Hey, King, what's up? Hey, Catherine. What's good? <laughs> it's It's been good. It's crazy that we are three years from Otero. We met in Otero. Now we're here sitting in the studio. How crazy is that? Yeah, it's pretty wild. I... I had no idea you'd be doing a podcast. I know, and I had no idea. Well, I had a very much cl- big clue that you'd be doing another company, but here we are. <laughs> yeah. So how are you doing? How is week five, beginning of week five? Week five, I mean, just been on that startup grind, you know? Yeah. Trying to balance classes with going to customers, talking to them, closing some deals. Mm, that's the way we like to see it. Yeah. So, um, King, before I jump in and, you know, start asking questions about your company and your background, um, why don't you tell us, like, where are you from? Oh, I'm from the the Philippines, specifically in Manila. Came from an all-dudes high school. Okay. Catholic, too. And uh, in our community, trade is pretty big. Uh, All our families typically work in import and export and kind of global trade in general. Oh, interesting. So this issue that you're focusing on right now is pretty close to home. Yeah, 100%. So this idea of working with freight forwarders, how did you first come up with this idea or even think about it in the first place? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I guess to give context to everyone, we're doing robotic process automation for freight processing, for freight document processing. And... So my co-founder, he worked in a freight forwarder. His family has also owned a freight forwarding company for several generations. And And this is your co-founder, Jeff. Yeah, this is my co-founder, Jeff. And he worked as an operator. Now, operators, what they do is they come into work. There's like a stack of documents that they have to encode into multiple websites, all while maintaining relationships with customers. And so he realized why are operators focusing on such a mundane robotic task like this? And so that's when we started talking about automating it. And we brought on another co-founder who is Christian. From our freshman dorm, Otero. Yes, also from our freshman dorm. 
he does AI research really hardcore. Mm-hmm. And that's how we started working on the idea. When it was just you two, just you and Jeff, and you were thinking about bringing on this technical person, what made you think of bringing on Christian specifically? Oh, so it the company wasn't formed yet. We weren't really working on it. It was more of just me and Jeff on messenger call, just like talking about his job in a freight forwarding company. And he was talking about how it was really boring, how he had to do all these all these mundane encoding tasks when the part of the job that he really enjoyed was making sure that customers were getting their cargo on time and really assuring them, sharing his freight experience with them. And Christian was also in the room during that time. And uh, I mean, I knew he was an AI expert. And so I was like, yo, how do you think we could automate document processing for uh, paperwork that looks like this? And then I showed him a couple sample documents and he just suggested how we do it and the most efficient way to do it. And that's kind of how we got started. Mm. At that point, when did you start like actually putting in the work, doing the MVP um, from that point on? Okay, so from that point on, I think, so Christian knew zero web development. And so he was like, I don't really know how to do this, but I can maybe make a desktop app version, <laughs> like just to <laughs> test the idea. Mm-hmm. And so we ran with that. It took him like four days. And then we showed real customers. Of course, this this product, you had to like type into terminal some commands to make it run. And it's like totally not, not, not even adjacent with the experience that it's at today. Mm -hmm. But we kind of got to create a prototype and tell customers, what if there's something you could use that would operate like this? And they loved it. And Mm -hmm. so that's when we started pursuing it. Mm. After sizing the market and seeing the opportunity. Right. Yeah. Um, So you mentioned that it took him four days to work on this prototype. How good was the prototype? Was it like... Super accurate. Did it just include the most important features, you would say? So it was just OCR. So Mm -hmm. it was just optical character recognition Mm -hmm. with a user drawing boxes. So literally it was very simple. Mm -hmm. A user, a freight document appears on the user screen, Mm -hmm. which we pre-upload for them. Then they just draw a box and that's it. And they paste the information captured in the box onto their existing freight systems. I see, I see. And this desktop app, was it like a Mac app or was it a um, PC app? Yeah, so it was a Mac app and we would even use, we could only run it on Jeff's Mac specifically. Okay, I see. And (laughs) yeah, so it was really just a Wizard of Oz prototype to see if they liked the experience and just to get started with talking to freight managers Mm -hmm. and when they would see it like a video of it or even us demoing it in front of them they were like oh once this is more robust like let's go Mm, i see and that's how we got some early customer signups and then we were just like okay that's enough money to build it let's go right wait so you said you got some early customer signups how did you initially even reach out to these freight managers Mm, so jeff and i did technology consulting for freight forwarders 
two years ago. And that's kind of how we got to know the space more and learn about the inefficiencies and the value of freight forwarding digitization. Mm. And so we just reached out to customers we already had from that previous venture. Mm-hmm. And just I'm, I'm realizing that we might not have enough context in regards to freight forwarding. How would you describe the industry? Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. So let's describe freight forwarding. <laughs> For when all our you, listeners out there. Yeah, well, we'll keep it simple. When you go to a port, there are these big, colorful, multicolored containers, right? And so freight forwarders are the people who manage the global movement of these containers. So it could be over sea, it could be air. Yeah, so typically it's... So there is trucking freight, but our startup focuses on air and sea freight since the documents and paperwork is a lot more complex. Mm. I'm sure our listeners will be appreciative of that background context. So you said that after you talked to some of the customers, you got some validation, some early signups, and then you did some market sizing as well. Yeah. How big would you say is the market for freight forwarding? So based on... Uh, research by Berkshire Hathaway, it's $12.1 billion and it's growing at a rate of 12.1% per year compounded annually. But then according to Goldman Sachs, it's a lot bigger. And then we started showing different VCs and they were like, it's definitely not Mm 12.1 billion. It's way more. So Mm. we'll... I just know it's above twelve billion, so And that's all you need to know. That, as long that's as all I need that. to know to pursue it. <laughs> exactly. You said that you were talking to VC, so at what point during that MVP development process did you start talking to VCs? Was it like mm-hmm. earlier on to sort of establish that relationship or later on to show traction? Yeah, so it's always about establishing the relationship really early. Mm-hmm. And to me, these VCs, like a lot of them are like mentors, right? They they bring in the business experience that I may or may not have. And yeah, just talking to them early, saying, getting their thoughts on how to properly size markets. You're also raising money from them, so you want to engage them early. You said that you guys raised a pre-seed from Bain Capital Ventures. How did that happen? Uh, so I... Uh, I was talking to this other MBA student on campus and then she was saying that we should go to this event to to pitch and we went to the event to pitch and a partner was there who decided to give us some early funding. Oh, what was that like? How did that make you feel? Pretty great. Pretty great. Pretty great, yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely helped us move a lot more. We Early on, it was just me, Christian, and Jeff. But with the money we got, we were able to add on a designer, three full-time engineers, and have the flexibility to actually take flights and go to various freight conferences to mm. further validate the idea, but also to acquire customers. I see. Um, and can you tell me a little bit more about the background of the backgrounds of the rest of your team members? Mm-hmm. So for Jeff, Jeff, he, his family owns a freight forwarder. He's been in the business for um, several generations and 
he worked there over the past six years in sales and operations. So he's our domain expert in freight. Mm-hmm. I've also worked with him on various business ventures. We've been best friends since seventh grade mm-hmm. in back in the Philippines. And we've just been doing like small business together. We would import things from China and and sell it. Then eventually we started getting into tech startups. That's when we made our first startup together, which was the common application in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. We called it Applica.me. We got like 32K users, got some funding as well from angel investors. And now after that, we decided to do technology consulting together where we got to know the freight space more and realized, oh, wow, we we definitely want to focus on enterprise software Mm. and just perfecting that B2B sales process. Mm -hmm. Then eventually we decided to start this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, also Christian. Let's not forget Christian. <laughs> Our other dorm mate. Yeah, so Christian, he's CTO. He leads uh, software engineering and all AI initiatives. Mm-hmm. All the AI initiatives he just does himself. Uh, he does AI research at Stanford, did some research for BMW as well. And yeah, just a kick-ass engineer. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and the rest of your team now, how big is it, would you say, right now? So we have, we're around eight. Okay. How did you recruit the other five people to join the team? So I would just talk to them, share the vision. I mean, recruitment is always a long process. That's why people are constantly soft recruiting. I mean, by being on this podcast, I'm also... So I'm recruiting everyone (laughs) who's listening, you know, and we're just always looking for talent to add on. Then after, after just telling them about what you're doing, it's just seeing if they share in the same vision. Mm -hmm. And if they do, usually they just ask to join. And would you say your process of recruiting is usually formal or is it informal? See how, you know, they perform and then you move towards, you know, making it in like legally official. Yeah, so that's kind of what we've been doing for part-timers. Like, Mm -hmm. for a lot of people who are still in school or have other commitments, like a full-time job, we tell them, oh, why don't you just put in maybe two, three hours a day first, then if you like working with a team, you have good output, then let's, like, make it official and bring you into the fold. But if they're applying for a full-time role already... We just pay, make them an offer outright. Like right on the spot to sort of snag them and draw their attention? Yeah. Give them a nice little signing bonus. Oh, you yeah. Know? <laughs> <laughs> little cush signing bonus. Yeah. Can't hurt for sure. So how do you approach giving equity to people you add to the team? Because I know it's, you know, people say to founders and to like CEOs to like be careful about how much you give um, to your early employees because... Because over time, it gets diluted. So how do you approach that process? Yeah, I'm I'm all about sharing, you know, especially if it's with your team. I, I definitely want to be more on the generous side. I feel like if these people are going to be people that are adding value to your business, helping grow things exponentially, then definitely just be generous with equity. 
And if they're not going to help your business grow exponentially, don't hire them. <laughs> there are also uh, standards out there which you kind of just copy or on some level. How do you make your offer stay as competitive as the other offers out there? Hmm. At the end of the day, it's also primarily about the vision. Like if if someone gives them an offer for like a 100K stock, but they only kind of believe in them while you give like 10K in stock, but they really believe in your vision, then the number itself doesn't matter. Yeah, so it's just finding the right people who believe in your vision. No, that makes total sense, yeah. Let me go back to the product itself that we were talking about earlier. So when you were, you know, talking to these potential customers, did you, like, how did you determine the pricing of this product? Like, how did you figure out how much to price it specifically? Mm. Pricing definitely is a huge challenge. We're, we're still learning how it works. It definitely charged by value. That's what everyone says. But that's kind of like the motto of Silicon Valley, right? Charge right. by value. But what that, does that mean? Exactly? <laughs> yeah, what does that mean? And it's something we're still figuring out. Right now, what we do is we give them the, the product, do an estimation of how much value we actually add to their business and how much we save them. Then we get 10% of that. I see. Okay. And how do you quantify it? Like how much value? Like, do you guys have KPIs that you measure against? Yeah, I mean, for our product, uh, unlike others, I think ours is like really straightforward. It's like how fast and how accurately can you process freight documents? Mm -hmm. And right now we make it five times faster. So you just quantify like, oh, if we're making them five times faster, let's get like 80% of their salary mm. and then get 10% of that. Interesting. Um, and what is the level of the product today? Where is it at now? The level of the product. Oh, okay. So right now we're running completely with two freight forwarders. Like they, the, what that means is all of their shipments go through our platform, all of their shipment documents. Uh, it's still a desktop app, correct? No, no. no. It's, okay. a, it's a web app. So three months ago, we started building a web app. Okay. A I month see. ago, we finished. And now we have customers. Wow. Great progress. Yeah. So we, <laughs> we have two customers completely, all shipments on our platform. We have another two signed contracts. Then we have 60 customers in the pipeline just waiting for us. Wow. In terms of how built out the product is, it works for our two very happy customers. Mm -hmm. Saves them a lot of money. So it's fully functional. We just yeah. need to keep uh, building out integrations with other websites. Mm -hmm. How do you continuously iterate on your product? Like, I assume you go out, get that feedback, and, and decide what features are most important before mm -hmm. beginning to change. Mm -hmm. So for each feature, you just want to quantify your impact and how much revenue or interest it will actually drive for your business, right? And so that's that's just what we do. We bring like a prototype of this feature. And well, even before we prototype the feature, we think of the problem. We do customer discovery. Then we size how big the problem actually is, then decide if you want to pursue it. Then after that, you just do the product testing cycle. Mm. 
using some of that dinking design thinking that <laughs> learned dinking. in school. <laughs> I've never heard that term. Wait, really? <laughs> yeah, dinking. Okay, dinking. cool. Got to start using it more. <laughs> um, so something I wanted to talk about before moving on to the fire round questions yeah. um, is your previous company that was essentially the common app of the Philippines. So that was more of a consumer um, website, right? Mm-hmm. What's that experience like running a consumer startup versus an enterprise startup? The experience is diff- is really different in the sense that when you're selling to consumers, you kind of just bring the consumer into a room and like run like tests with them or maybe you analyze like a mass data. But with enterprise customers, even if the end user is super happy, you need to make management happy or whoever has buying power for your software. So on some level, you have to kind of reverse engineer how these organizations work and base everything off of that. You're basing your product, you're basing your pricing strategy, you're basing everything. You just need to completely understand how freight forwarders I mean, whatever your target business is. Mm-hmm. So for us, like we know a lot of freight forwarders, even some of the top ones in the world, are still family-owned businesses. So typically when you're approaching these family-owned businesses, you want a personal intro or you want someone who you have a connection to to vouch for you with this family. And so it's really leveraging on that understanding. Would you say that there is a type of business that is harder to run? Like, do you think consumer is harder, enterprise is harder, or do you think they're hard in different ways? To me, I think they're pretty hard in different ways in the sense that you just need to hit so much scale typically, right, for for consumer startups, while with enterprise startups, you can make a small amount of money from from the early days. Mm, mm-hmm. So talk to me about your day-to-day life of running this company. Like how often do you guys have meetings, check-ins, scrum meetings? Yeah, so every week we have three all-hands meetings where everyone goes on everyone goes on Google Hangouts and we we just chat uh so the first one is on Tuesdays where we Oh, the first one is on Mondays where we plan the sprint between the three founders and we kind of just discuss, okay, this is our main KPI. To achieve this main KPI, we want to push push these things, which means we need to build these features. And so that's how we... That's how we do it. Then the next day, we meet with everyone in the team. Then we start assigning like, oh, do you feel like a strong pull towards this task? Then we'll assign it to you, kind of distribute it that way. Mm. Then mid-sprint, we also have another call on Thursday where we just talk and say like, oh, is it going good? Usually this one's just like 10 minutes unless there's like a burning problem that we need to like put a fire out or something. Mm -hmm. Well, this is the last question before the fire round. Um, what would you say is the long-term vision of where your company is going to go? Long-term vision. Well, right now what we're doing is we're tackling the start of the data funnel, the problem at the start of the data funnel, which is data input. We don't want people to 
have to type all these documents again and again into several different websites. But once you start, but because all that data is going through our platform and we're, and it's getting labeled through our system as well, we can draw and drive a lot of insights for our customers through that. Right now, there are a lot of problems like uh, freight route optimization, delay prediction, uh, credit scoring for the freight forwarders customers, which all of which we could definitely help with with the data we're acquiring. Mm-hmm. But as of now, we have no specific plans which next space we're going to enter. Mm, so bringing more intelligence. Bringing more the, intelligence. Yeah. yeah, we want to be like the insights and data platform for freight forwarders. That's very catchy. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so let's get straight to the fire round. Are you ready? Yeah, I uh, am ready. Let's do it. All right. First off, most memorable experience at Stanford so far? Ooh, my most memorable experience was definitely my time at StartX as a freshman. Learned so much about startups. Second question, favorite class at Stanford and why? Desins 240 might be wrong about the number, designing machine learning. Uh, I learned a lot about the ethics of AI and kind of bring a more human-centric uh like process to building AI products. Mm. Favorite place to do work on campus? My balcony in Robley. I have not come and visited. I need to do that. Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Favorite activity to de-stress on campus? I like one-wheeling. So I have a one-wheel, which I like to ride off-road on random trails, like in by the lake. I see. Lake Log. Yeah. Most impactful summer internship and why? Uh, PM internship at Intuit. Uh, I was on the data in and machine learning uh, team, and I just gained a lot of knowledge in managing large teams and how to build AI products for people. One piece of advice you give for students on campus who might want to start something? Find a problem you like. That's it. It's as simple as that. And go for it. <laughs> send it. Full send. Yeah. Uh, so last question, uh, we've talked about where tool.ai is headed, but what are the next steps for King Alandidi? Uh, that's kind of inseparable, you know, like I'm definitely pursuing tool.ai. So, yeah. After graduation and for years to come, hopefully. For years to come, for decades, ideally. Ooh, Ooh. amazing. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, King, for coming on the show today. It was so much fun having you. All right. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. Now, I hope you all enjoyed that episode. Thanks again, King, for coming on the couch. I'm excited to see where he goes with Tool.ai and off-road one-wheeling. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode. If you've got any feedback, suggestions, questions, or any existential thoughts, write to us at cj98 at stanford.edu. Lastly, wherever you're listening, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Next episode, Chelsea will be talking to Federico Bascotti, a senior at MIT. Make sure to tune in to hear all about his journey of founding Digital Doct, a company focused on creating a product that will serve as a digital info tag in rugged ad hoc environments, such as in the military field or on the construction site. I'm Catherine Jang, and you've been listening to The Founder's Couch. See y'all soon! <laughs>